You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back, finally, another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast, Tuesday morning, November 30th, the year of our Lord, 2021. A little delay this morning recording, only because I don't know if you've realized this, there's a lot going on. Every time I started to click this little red circle, something else happened, or someone else called, or some other news broke. And I can assure you, given the nature of this month so far, this will probably be halfway dated by the time you listen to it, but we got to get it in nonetheless. I don't know how to convey to you what covering college football right now is like. I know what it's like as a fan. Imagine trying to cover it. Imagine having to say things that hold up for over 24 or 48 hours. It's, it's both hard and glorious. Oh, and I should mention, I have a bad cold right now, so it sounds like I have a hedgehog lodged in my throat. It's okay. Uh, we will persevere. We will make it through together. So this is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We do this thing every Tuesday morning and Thursday morning. It is mailbag, Q&A, wall-to-wall. You can hit me at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. You can hit me at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. I would highly advise you to be following those channels, at Late Kick Josh. This is the new battleground. December, late November through December, that is the new battleground in college football. That is where everything happens. I'm a big believer that the early signing day um, has caused a lot of this. I won't say it's to blame because the blame is very pejorative. That's a word I've been using a lot this month, and it's negative in connotation. So if you love this, nothing's to blame. I guess you credit early signing day, but that leads right into the first question that I was going to answer, and it was from Caleb, and he was saying, why do you think the college football world all of a sudden goes crazy this time of year, where, and this is kind of what Caleb's saying, we used to just be focused on conference championship games. I mean, think about, do you realize that? You know, we've got Alabama versus Georgia in, what, one, two, three, four days? And hardly anyone's even talking about it. we got conference championships. we got Oklahoma State, Baylor. we got Oregon playing Utah. we got all kinds of conference title games happening this week. Cincinnati on the precipice of making a playoff, and we're talking about coaching. Why is it like this, Caleb asks. And I know a lot of you are asking the same thing. I'm going to tell you why I think it's happening like this. It's the early signing day. Think about this and think about how crazy the college football calendar is in terms of structure. Let me get back to that in a second. The early signing date is what this is all about. I mean, we're at 24-7 and CBS right now. We've been having meetings for about a month about how we're going to cover early signing day and how we're going to, I think we're going to go down to Fort Lauderdale this year. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that. It doesn't really matter, but I think we're going to do in-studio coverage down in Fort Lauderdale. But anyway, the point is we're over here getting our editorial plan together. Well, imagine if we didn't have hosts. You know, imagine if we didn't have reporters, but we were trying to put a show together. Well, you can't. So the first thing you would do, and you would prioritize it, is you would try and go hire hosts, and you would hire producers, and you would hire technical directors, and everything you needed to actually make the show happen, well, you got to have a head coach to make a football program happen. And if you got early signing day coming up in the actual football world, you got to have a head coach. No one wants to commit if they don't know who their head coach is going to be. Well, the early signing date is in the middle of December, and that screws everything up. Because obviously, you can't be preparing for a bowl game if you also want to go be a head coach somewhere else. And that is the conundrum, to steal a word from last week's show. That is a conundrum that college football finds itself in. Now, the next question Caleb did not ask, but I'll ask you, is how do we fix that? Does it need to be fixed? I'm looking at my traffic right now for Late Kick. 
I mean, we don't need anything to be fixed, but I will say I'm a bigger fan of college football than I am of my show, whether you believe that or not. I am, and I would love to see the sport balance itself out, even at the expense of having these late-season traffic surges for our show. I said my show. Shame on me. Our show. Uh, And here's what I would propose. If we were to scrap everything today, let's say you and I got on a committee, and we were to sit at the table, and we scrap everything. College football, the sport still exists, but we just... Boom. There goes the calendar. We're going to start a new calendar. We would never construct it the way it's constructed right now. The NFL has a very, very well calibrated schedule and calendar, I guess is the right word, to where nothing overlaps and everything has its compartment and you're tuned in as a result all year. College football is not like that. College football is like 10 different people building a house, 10 different contractors coming in and building parts of a house, but they're not working off the same schematic. They're not working off the same plan. They just do their own thing. That's kind of how college football is. You got the stretch run of your regular season, which now overlaps with coaching carousel season, which overlaps with conference championships, which overlaps with trying to lock down your recruiting class. And all this stuff's happening simultaneous. I don't care how much you pay a guy. Some people sit there and say, well, that's why you make all those dollars. It doesn't matter. You're only capable of what you're capable of. It's ludicrous for the early signing date to be when it is. When should it be? I'm telling you, I'd put it in August. And I was not a believer in this ideology when we first started to broach the topic of an early signing date. But the more I see the ramifications, I think folks were right. I think we should have the first signing date be in August. And that way, the next signing date is in February, whenever the traditional signing day is. And you've got the transfer portal. I mean, you know you can get out of something if you really need to. I would also be a fan of legislation that gives guys the ability to exit their national letter of intent if the coach they committed to leaves. Now, I've always been in favor of that. Not the assistant. you got to draw a line somewhere. But the head coach that they commit to, if he leaves, you're free to go. We'll release you from your NLI. Some programs do that anyway. I think that would solve a lot or at least alleviate a lot of the issues we have right now. I don't know how you get that done. Uh, Because the entity that is responsible for that is normally the very last to act. I don't even know if they're aware we have a problem right now. But that's the first thing, Caleb, that I have focused on in this whole ordeal. Now, we got a bunch of questions, obviously, about Brian Kelly in general. I, I mean, I can pick Amanda here. I mean, we've got a million of you guys, literally, and girls, case in point, Amanda, asking about Brian Kelly and do I think he's a good fit at LSU? What do I think about the fit, the fit, the fit? That's the word fit. It's all I keep being asked about. Well, here is my thought. He's a great fit. That's what my thought is. But I want to not talk to myself or listen to myself talk. I would love to ask those of you, and I know there are a lot of you in the audience because I've spoken to you. I've, I've corresponded with you. I've seen what you've said. Those of you who don't think Brian Kelly's a good fit, why isn't he a good fit? I was talking to some folks last night. I mean, some really dialed in folks. In some cases, people in the coaching industry. There are folks in the coaching industry who feel this way who think he's not going to succeed at LSU because he's not a good fit. Well, I would ask, what is a fit? What constitutes a fit? And most of them kept going back to geography. Most of them kept going back to the fact that he's not from Louisiana. He doesn't come from that culture. Well, if you'll recall, the day that Ed Orgeron was fired from LSU, the first thing I went to is I said, they've got to get a culture fit. So this is not hypocritical of me. I know full well what I said. I said, they've got to first and foremost prioritize fit. That's the part you guys heard. And some of you are trying to throw back in my face thinking you're winning something. What that minority group has failed to do is listen to the entire sentence, even that day that came out of my mouth, or I guess the subsequent sentences. 
I am all about culture fit. I'm about culture fit everywhere. I've talked about it with Sam Pittman, talked about it all year. And I'm about culture fit with LSU. But then the next thing I said was, culture fit's not about where you're from. Culture fit's about who you are. Nick Saban had never lived in the state of Alabama in his life before he took the Alabama job. How's he doing? How's, how's that culture fit there? How synonymous is what Alabama wants their football program to be with what Nick Saban is? Well, does, it, does it matter that he's not from Selma? Does it matter that he's never lived in Muscle Shoals? Muscle Shoals for the locals there? No, it doesn't. It matters what your critical traits and characteristics are. So what I said about LSU football is, forget about a map for a second. Let's ask ourselves, what do we want the LSU football coach to be? What are those critical factors? What are those critical traits? Because if you get someone who checks all those boxes, he will be a seamless culture fit. No different than Nick Saban at Alabama. Brian Kelly checks all those boxes. I'm going to talk about this a lot more tonight on Late Kick Live, which, by the way, will be from a mysterious, undisclosed location in Georgia. It will not be from Nashville tonight, and it will not be from Atlanta. Save that for Thursday. A little hint there. Another, another big announcement coming. But there will be a Late Kick Live tonight that happens from an undisclosed location where I will talk about the fit that Brian Kelly is. It's a great fit. You guys who have listened to me in my independent days, you know back when Georgia fired Mark Richt, I wanted Georgia to go after Brian Kelly. When they got rid of McIlwain at Florida, I wanted Florida to go after Brian Kelly. I have always, well, I'll say always, I have long thought Brian Kelly was an SEC caliber coach who just happened to be in South Bend, Indiana. Like he has always looked like an SEC coach to me. He's felt like one. He's carried himself like one. He was just at Notre Dame. There's nothing wrong with Notre Dame. I'm just saying... When these jobs opened in the South and I was covering the SEC exclusively at the time, I wanted him down there. The only reservation that I would have about Brian Kelly right now is with his age, has, or here's what I was worried about. I thought that the time had passed for him to move on from Notre Dame. I thought he had become a Notre Dame lifer. And I really think up until a couple of weeks ago, he believed that too. But outside of that, and now that I've got that question answered, yes, obviously he's willing to move. I'm all about it. Uh, Jeff and uh, some of you this morning have pointed out, did you see that LSU had late kick in the welcome video? Yes, I did see that. I retweeted it. I'm always happy to assist any way I can in the hype videos and the welcome videos and the season preview videos. I am always talking to folks in the athletic departments of these programs. Some of the best friends I have in this business are the people in the audio video side, uh, the graphics departments, whatnot, of these college programs. Those folks do magic. I mean, those folks really cast the voice and cast the vision on a broad public scale for what the program is. Think about the perception you had of the 2019 LSU football team and think about how much of it in your subconscious, if you're on social media, was shaped by what those folks were doing with those videos. I mean, I still remember vividly. I think about Joe Burrow, I think about Ed Orgeron, and I think about a bunch of hype videos. That's how I remember 2019. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I appreciate them putting us, uh, us being late kick in the hype video for the welcome wagon, as I call it, for Brian Kelly to LSU. We were in a bunch of videos this year, just the beginning. I want to be in every single pregame hype video. That's my goal. Remember, uh, by the end of this podcast, I normally put it at the end, we will have a full recreation of this week's trip to Ann Arbor, Michigan. What a trip it was. Maybe, oh man, I can't say this right now. Give me some time to digest it. It may end up being the most memorable trip I had this year, simply because it gets no bigger than your first Ohio State-Michigan game 
being on the field and watching that unfold. They stormed the field. How often does that happen in the Ohio State-Michigan game? So that was like our fourth or fifth field storming of the year. The Renaissance Tour has had a lot of success. The Renaissance Tour, when we finally get these t-shirts made, they're going to fly. They're going to fly off the shelves. This is going to be like your dad's 1986 Journey Raised on Radio concert tour date t-shirt where you see all the cities on the back. I mean, that's what we're going to make the Renaissance Tour t-shirt look like. And hey, if you were there, if you actually were at one of the games, then it's truly a collector's item. Again, that is future tense. We do not have the ability to do those right now. Uh, It's not on me. It is just something that exists right now. But don't worry, we'll rectify that one way or the other. Uh, So let's move on to another aspect of this, because I think I got more questions this morning about what Notre Dame's about to do. Now, I want you to listen to this, because I was doing some radio with Dirt and Spray out in Portland before I started recording the podcast, and we started talking about this. And I want you to just consider how fascinating this whole chain of events that's about to unfold could be. I don't care if you're a New Mexico State fan. I don't care if you live in Norfolk, Virginia. This right here would be wild, even if you don't care about Notre Dame football. So Brian Kelly goes to LSU. Now, if you missed it this morning, Jack Swarbrick, who is the AD at Notre Dame, he revealed that if the Irish make the playoff, right now I think they're sixth or somewhere like that, if they make the playoff, Brian Kelly will not be the head coach. He will not coach the team in the playoff game. Well, that logically means the interim head coach is going to be the coach, right? Well, not so fast. Jack Swarbrick, go back to him now, revealed today that he will not name an interim head coach. Uh, I don't really know what that means, to be honest with you guys. I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who's running the Notre Dame operation if they make the playoff. Here's what I think. I think it should be Marcus Freeman, slam dunk. He's the only one qualified on that staff to do that. Uh, that is obviously the very, very fast rising defensive coordinator for the Fighting Irish. Well, here is my thought. My first thought was, are you crazy? Why aren't you naming him the interim head coach? There's no risk in doing it. There's a ton of risk in not doing it. Like, for example, Pete Sampson reporting that Brian Kelly Monday reached out to Marcus Freeman to offer him the defensive coordinator job at LSU. Their biggest fear has got to be him leaving. So here's what I'm thinking. This is all that I can make sense of. Maybe Notre Dame has not named him interim head coach because they're terrified he's going to leave either way. So I think what they may be doing behind the scenes is they may be saying, Marcus, we'll name you interim head coach. We'll even give you a shot to be the head coach, but we have to get a commitment from you that you're not leaving. And maybe they haven't gotten that commitment. Plus, think about Notre Dame's side. If you lose your head coach to LSU, and then you name an interim head coach, and then he leaves 48 hours later to go to LSU too, that is a little bit too much public embarrassment to be able to take. So that's all I can think of. But let's just say for argument's sake, Marcus Freeman does stick around. And let's say he does, whether he's the named interim head coach or not, let's say he leads Notre Dame to a playoff win, which they haven't gotten, even under Brian Kelly. Think about what that would be. I want you to think in this grand renaissance season that we've had and how much craziness has happened, that would be close to topping everything. A guy leads his team to the playoff, but then he bolts for another job before the playoff game even happens, and the AD says, you're not going to coach in the playoff game. So then they elevate an assistant coach who then does what the former head coach was never able to do at the program, and at that point, I've just got to assume Marcus Freeman becomes the head coach at Notre Dame. Now, that would be in the happy ending. Let's go back to what could happen, though. Right now, we are a week away, less than a week, I guess a week from today, no, it's, it's a week from Sunday that they make the playoff selection. So we got conference championship Saturday, and then the next day we've got the selection Sunday. How about this? 
you've never had to fathom this. No one's ever had this conversation with you, including me, because it just seems impossible. But anything's possible in a Renaissance season. What if some chaos happens this Saturday? Not total chaos, but some chaos, enough to where Notre Dame is involved in the playoff conversation. Now, I want you to imagine this. There you are sitting on your couch in Greenville, South Carolina, and you're watching the selection show, and Notre Dame you think is going to be in, and then they don't make it in, and the committee says, we took into account that this team doesn't have a head coach. And in a measurement contest, in the game of inches, that ended up being one of the deciding factors. (laughs) Like, do you understand the alternate universe we're living in right now where that sentence could theoretically be uttered on national TV this Sunday? So, yeah, as I have said many times, covering college football right now is like trying to nail jello to the wall. It's impossible, but you just try as hard as you can anyway. But don't let them ever tell you it's not fun because if nothing else, it's been fun. There's no sleep involved, but it is fun. Tim, uh, to switch gears back on the field, how dare us in conference championship weekend talk about the actual game. Tim asked, what are the odds Alabama beats Georgia? Well, I can give you the literal odds, Tim. They are six and a half point underdogs. So there's that. The way I've described it to a lot of people I've spoken to privately this weekend and the way that I will end up describing it on the show tonight when we do the official prediction and breakdown is there are several ways for Georgia to win this game. There are a couple of ways for Bama to win it. Anyone who tells you that you should expect a blowout, anyone who tells you, you know, there's no way this happens or no way that happens is ludicrous. So dismiss that. Here's what stands out to me the most as we start to dive into it later tonight. Think about how rarely you've said this to yourself. The team with the better head coach and the better quarterback is a six and a half point underdog on a neutral field. How often does that happen? And if it does happen, how often is it that that team also recruits in the top three annually? So sometimes what you could see is you could see a really young upstart head coach that you're high on have a good quarterback, but overall his roster is not anything to write home about, and they go up against a powerhouse recruiting team, and it's just the weight of that roster overwhelms them. Well, that's not the case here. Alabama recruits the same as Georgia does, and they've got the better quarterback, and they've got the better head coach, and yet still... They're a a six-and-a-half-point dog. This isn't me trying to tell you it's a trick or a trap or anything like that. I'm telling you that is how serious Georgia's defense is. That's how serious just the overall weight of the team is, literally and figuratively. Uh, That's how good they are, that they're still able to be that, even with Benedict quarterback and Smart as a head coach. Those aren't weaknesses, mind you, but relative to the rest of the teams they've played this year, they haven't gone up against another team that has the coaching and quarterback advantage. You thought that was the case in week one against Clemson. Uh, not so much. Here's going to be the thing to watch, though. This is the game we'll be at, by the way, Saturday. Renaissance Tour headed to Atlanta. Here's the thing to watch. If you've seen Bama games for a long time under Nick Saban, you know one of the hallmarks is they put teams in uncomfortable positions. And in order for you to beat them, you have to do something better than what you normally do, or you have to be a different version of yourself than you normally are because you know that your normal is not going to be good enough. Well, very rarely have you seen Alabama put in that position. But that's where they are Saturday. It's not that they can't beat Georgia. Of course they can beat Georgia. They're not favored, nor should they be. They can beat them, though. But in order for Alabama to beat Georgia, they have to be something different than they've been all year. They have to adjust. They have to dig deep. They have to pull something else out of the tool bag. And that's rare. And I'll tell you the two things I think it is. Number one, I think they have to make a concerted effort to attack Georgia down the field, which obviously means you have to have time to do that. It's much easier said than done. It's not Xbox. And number two, 
I think 15 and 31, Dallas Turner and Will Anderson, they have to have a disproportionate impact on the game. It's kind of like when we were going into Michigan-Ohio State last week, and we were talking about those two edge rushers for Michigan and how they had to impact C.J. Stroud. Well, they did. And so Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, they have to do the same thing here. They have to force second and longs. They have to force turnovers in an ideal world. That's how it would happen. But they have to keep Georgia off balance enough, and they have to impact the game early enough to where Georgia offensively goes into a shell, which they've been prone to do in the past. It hasn't been that way this year. But if you yourself can hit deep balls and you can force Georgia, because of the threat of havoc plays and turnovers, to be more conservative in their approach, then you've got a shot. Because Alabama's run defense is really good. So if Georgia ends up lacking the ability to take advantage of maybe a mismatch or two, a wide receiver and tight end core versus Alabama's secondary and linebacker core, well, then all of a sudden... I don't care really what the point spread says. Georgia's not in a position to pull away themselves. And so it's a tight game. That has to happen. What can't happen, and what could lead to a double-digit Georgia win, is if Bama tries to settle into the game. Because Georgia would be happy doing that. Because Georgia knows over four quarters, they're the better team. Which they are this year. They are the better team. They're the deeper, more experienced team. This is the year for them to do it. And that's why I think so much pressure is on them. I know it's gotten kind of old, me saying this. Some have even labeled me a Georgia hater as I record this podcast in Georgia at home where I grew up and spent my entire childhood and early adult life. I hope I haven't been unclear in what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, so so Georgia hater JP says that there is immense pressure on Georgia for that very reason. When will you ever have a better chance? When will you ever have a clearer path? Look around. Ohio State, I thought, was a bad potential matchup for Georgia, but they're out of the way now. So there are no other passing attacks out there that you fear and you flat out don't think any team's going to be able to run on you to win nor should you because I don't think there is a team out there that can run on Georgia to win and so where are the hurdles well I'll tell you the biggest hurdle remaining for Georgia is this Saturday that's the biggest remaining hurdle and that's what it'll always be sometimes this game's complex but it really comes down to that for Georgia they've got to get past Alabama that's the way it should be. I mean, if you were writing the story for this SEC championship game, this Georgia team, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Kirby Smart will know this all too well. I'm not sure he's going to have time to listen to the pod today, but he'll know about all this because he knows what it was like in 2008 when Saban had gotten to Alabama. They finally got to the SEC championship game, second year there. They go up against Tim Tebow and Florida. And they are very competitive. They're leading 20-17, to 17, I believe it was. I was at this game as a paid fan. I was at this game. And Tim Tebow in Florida, they rattle off, I want to say it was 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter. They win 31-20. And that entire following summer and, and spring even and fall, the singular focus in that Alabama athletic complex was get back to Atlanta and let's get another shot at Florida. I mean, that's, that's what they knew stood between them and getting where they wanted to go. I had a coach tell me one time, the following day, after they lost that game in Atlanta, they had a staff meeting, and Nick Saban just walked in and point blank said, if you're not ready to do what it takes and to go get the players it takes to beat Florida and Urban Meyer, then get out of the room. It was probably a little more colorful than that. They knew they had to get past that team. They were not the king. They were not the alpha yet. Now, once you became the alpha, then it's just about maintaining your standard. But they had folks in the way between them and the mountaintop at that point. And so what happened was... They get back to Atlanta the next year, and they got the same matchup, and Florida's favored again, but that time it was not nearly as competitive even. 
Bama rolls over Florida. 32-13, to 13, I think, was the final score that day. And once they knock down that barrier, then they go to California and they beat Texas for the national championship. Five more titles have followed since then for Nick Saban. But it all started with Urban Meyer and Florida being in the way. They had to get them out of the way. They had to knock that wall down. Georgia's got to knock the Alabama wall down. They've been several times, not just once. They've been up against it several times. 2017, overtime, national championship, can't get it done. 2018, SEC championship, can't get it done. 2020, regular season, can't get it done. They got another shot. You'll just keep running into that wall and falling down flat until you knock it down. They got to knock it down Saturday. That's, that's it. That's really it. That's all there is to it. Once they do that, there is strong reason to believe Georgia would go on to win the national championship. So no pressure other than all the pressure. Here's what else we have. An ad break. Be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So as you notice, first off, I snuck the ad break up on you. Second thing you've probably noticed, as I said in the opening, I'm a little under the weather. Quite literally, the weather has caused this. I've been in a different city every week for the past 14 weeks. This weekend will be no different. Now, it's great. It's fun. But what it does is it really messes with you because I was in, you know, a snowstorm up in Michigan. And now I'm in Georgia and it is 74 degrees and sunny outside right now. And believe it or not, sometimes the senses don't know how to act. So I got a little little head cold, nothing serious, going to still do the show tonight, still doing the show right now in some form at least. But let's talk about this trip. This has become some of your favorite parts of the podcast, but I know some of you don't care. That's why I put it at the very end. So you can listen to the meat and then the dessert if you don't want it. If you're one of those folks who doesn't like dessert, you're a psychopath. I, I will admit that you're a psychopath, but we have room in our audience for all kinds. We can't all be saints. You need a healthy balance of saint and psychopath. That's what Mimo always told me. And so if you do want to stick around, the saints amongst us, then yes, I will tell you a little tale of the trip up to Ann Arbor. Let me lay out how the travel had to work for this. I'm in Nashville, obviously. That's where our home base of operation is. I'm just going to run through this in a blur, because even if I say it slow, like my mother, half of you will forget what the details were anyway. So we're in Nashville Tuesday night before the game. We do Late Kick Live. I immediately drive home for Thanksgiving. I am in Columbus or Harris County. Not Columbus. I'm in Harris County, Georgia. Wednesday, Thursday for Thanksgiving. Then Friday, in order to avoid the TSA lines at Atlanta, Hartsfield, I go to Columbus, airport, which is like 10 minutes south of my home, my original home in Harris County, and I leave my Jeep in the parking lot at Columbus Airport. I fly to Atlanta, connect there, fly to Detroit, get the rental car, go stay in Detroit, and then drive to Ann Arbor the next day. We go to the game, leave the game after we cover it, immediately drive in a driving snowstorm to the Detroit airport, and I fly to Nashville. 
I'm supposed to have a rental car waiting for me in Nashville, but since our plane had delay for de-icing, you know that old chestnut, I don't have time to get there to pick up my rental car. It's already closed. I got in at like 2 a.m. And so I have to Uber back to my apartment. Next morning, I have to Uber back over to the airport, pick up my rental car, then go back to my apartment, put Late Kick Live together, do Late Kick Live Sunday night in Nashville, immediately drive overnight back down to Harris County, just north of Columbus, so another five-hour drive after a show. Almost dozed off a couple of times, had to pull over and do jumping jacks, which is my secret go-to, that and caffeine. I am now down here until Wednesday when I will head up to Atlanta, and I will be downtown for several days because we will be doing Late Kick Live Thursday night from somewhere in or around Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We will then cover the SEC Championship game Saturday. Then I'll be back up to Nashville overnight to do Late Kick Live Sunday. And that, my friends, is what travel looks like this time of year in the wonderful world of college football. But I'm not complaining. I just want you to feel sorry for me. That's all. So now that you feel sorry for me, let me take you through this. I was looking at the weather forecast the entire week leading up to this game. It started off sunny. Then there was a chance of some flurries on Sunday, but Saturday was still going to be clear. But by the time we get to kickoff, the forecast has gone downhill. And so obviously we had some snow to deal with during the Ohio State-Michigan game. It got way worse after it was over. More on that in a second. But let me explain something to you. I just want, you, I just want to lay this out for you. A lot of you are like me. Most of you are like me. You just grew up massive fans of this game. And you watched these big events. You watched the Iron Bowl or you watched... Ohio State, Michigan, or you watched OU Texas. But if you grew up like me, you don't come from a ton of wealth. You certainly never think you're going to be able to experience all this. It's just going to be something that lives on TV. Well, I've gotten to a point in life where I'm fortunate enough, blessed enough is the word, to be able to go to these things. Well, I think about it in real time. Now, it may make me weird, but I think about it in real time. I'm just thinking, I can't believe I'm here. It's pinch myself. It's like, say a quick prayer of thanks as the game's going on. I kid you not, I do that all the time. Just, man, thank you for letting me be here. And uh, I was talking to Ben Hartstock on the field before the game. He, of course, played at Ohio State, played in the league. And I was talking to him about that. He does work for SiriusXM now. And he was the same way. You know, and he's actually played in that game. But he was saying, dude, I cannot believe how different the vantage point is and how more you pick up when you're not playing in the game. When you're playing, you're focused, you don't get to sit back and smell the roses, so to speak. But when you do get to do that, like we do every week, boy, it's eye-opening. And so when the game is almost about to start, you're just seeing all the stuff that you swore once upon a time you'd only ever get to see on TV. And you're seeing it in person, and it's living up to the hype. That's what stands out the most. A lot of times when things are hyped, they don't live up to the hype. This game so definitely lived up to the hype, and then some. And we get into it, and you start to feel it out early. You know, you obviously know with how lethal Ohio State is, there's a chance if they strike early, you're in the same position you were last week, just a different venue, but you're in the same position. You're watching Ohio State run roughshod over someone, and you're trying to find time to kill before you go to the airport. Well, that's not the way it started. And when Michigan starts to move the ball and they start to own the line of scrimmage, you realize it doesn't mean they're going to win, but it does mean you're setting yourself up for a four-quarter game and you're in position. That's all you want to be. You want to be in position to see a great game if you're doing what we're doing. And so what was the most fun is as that game gets deeper and deeper and, and more towards halftime, that crowd starts to believe more and more. And so the Michigan Stadium setup is such that there's one tunnel, kind of like the Cotton Bowl earlier this year. And so I went up the tunnel with about a minute to go, and I just, just go up there, just see what happens. At the very least, I know I'm going to get some good footage for you guys to put on the Instagram story. Well, as I was recording, as you all have seen by now, 
that little skirmish breaks out in the tunnel. And I cannot believe it. Like, I'm holding my phone. I probably, if you could have seen my face, looked like a 10-year-old kid at his first concert. Because you know that you're seeing something in real life, in real time, that first off, it's obviously going to go viral. But second off, it is part of what will be shown for the next 100 years when people talk about what makes that rivalry unique. When they talk about Ohio State-Michigan, or Michigan-Ohio State, however you want to phrase it, they will show that video that I would just happen to be fortunate enough slash blessed enough to be standing there recording. That is the embodiment. If you were to try and convey to one of your NFL friends who doesn't watch college why college is different, that's part of it. But that wasn't the biggest part of that because it could have just been a video and then nothing else. It was that Michigan took that same energy back out onto the field in the third quarter, fourth quarter, and they end up running the score up a little bit. And as time is winding down, I go up to finally charge my battery for the last time in the media room. Talked with Annie Agar for about 10 minutes in there. A lot of you guys know her from the NFL videos she does. And as I'm in the room, I can hear security talking. And sure enough, I hear it come over the headset. Hey, if Michigan wins, we expect the field to be stormed. Don't get in the way. And I said, oh boy, here we go. You know, because it had not really dawned on me that that was a possibility at that game. But once I thought to myself, yeah, that makes sense. I got the battery charged and I headed down to the field, took in the last few minutes of that game, and then it breaks loose. And that clock hits zero and those folks come on the field. And here was the difference. At Baylor a few weeks ago, when they stormed the field after they beat Oklahoma, we looked around and we saw mostly kids. I mean, it was really, it was mostly the student section that came on the field. In this setting, I'm looking around. I see one person 18 years old. I see one person 48 years old. It was everybody. It was like the entire Michigan fan base just spills out onto the field. All ages, you had so much relief, so much happiness, so much euphoria. So I took my phone. If you were watching on the Instagram story, you saw I started recording. And all I thought to do was just turn in circles. And so I just kept going around and around and around, slow enough where you could see individual faces. But I wanted you to be able to see what I'm seeing. It's really weird. If you've ever played the game of football, you know what it looks like. Otherwise, you don't know what it's like to be on the field, like at the 50-yard line, while the place is going crazy. You just want to capture it as best you can, do a full panoramic view and show everyone the 360-degree view that you have. Because you know, it's just, first off, it's something you never thought you'd have. And then secondly, it's history. His history is happening as, as you're speaking, history is happening. As you're thinking, history is happening. And to be in the middle of that, I don't know how to convey it to you. I know it's different. For folks like us, it's different. Because if you just grew up a fan, you are a fan first. I was not very professional, let me say. And I, I mean, I wasn't doing anything irresponsible. But I did not view myself as a professional in that moment. I didn't grow up a Michigan fan or anything like that. But man, I'm a fan of the game. And so if I'm out there being a part of that, I was acting no different than any of you would have acted. If you were caught up in that, you would have basically kind of let yourself go and just enjoyed it. That's what I did. And then 30 minutes later, I composed myself because it took them that long, at least that long to empty the field. I don't know how long they stayed on the broadcast. But after, after a while, I went up the tunnel because uh, it got crazy out there. I mean, I'm in the full mob. I'm in like the middle of the mosh pit. If you guys have ever been in that setting, you know that there's this weird thing that happens. You can sometimes move without your feet moving because the folks are so tightly packed together. It's dangerous, of course, but the folks are so tightly packed together that sometimes you move, but you're not walking. Like you can go 10 or 15 feet, but you didn't take a step. 
So when that started happening, I said, I think I'll go ahead and duck out of here. So I went up the tunnel for a little while and waited for the crowd to die down. And I sent some video and whatnot. So when I came back down, it's time for us to do our postgame hits on CBS Sports HQ. And good news and bad news. The good news was the field had mostly emptied. The bad news is we had like half an inch to three quarter an inch per hour snowfall rates coming down. And we had to go out there with a bunch of expensive equipment and get it wet as we did our postgame hit. And all the while, I'm thinking to myself, I got to drive. I got to drive a long way. I got to drive to the airport after this. What's about to happen? And normally what I'll do when a game's winding down is I'll start to type the airport in the GPS. I just want to get a gauge of how long it's telling me it's going to take to get there. So normally that'd be a 20, 25 minute drive from Ann Arbor at the stadium to Detroit airport. Uh, And so afterwards, we're two hours after the game's ended. We took our time. Two hours after the game's ended. I GPS, I think it says two hours to the airport. So, I mean, I know we're probably screwed. Luckily, I had a 1030 flight. So I had time. Big game day and he didn't have time, man. Dennis, he didn't have time. I had time because I had a later flight. But man, driving to Detroit. I don't think I ever got above 25 miles an hour on I-94, which was not treated. It was not treated at all for the weather that ended up rolling in. I was so proud of myself. I think I had a bigger accomplishment as a Southern kid driving to the airport in that than Michigan actually did, beating Ohio State that day. But the one thing that I wanted to tell you guys, without naming names, is this game more so than probably any this season so far. I had a combination of other national media types that you would all recognize, coaches that many of you would recognize, making it a point to come up to me and compliment the show or talk about the show. And the reason I want to tell you about it is because it's validation, affirmation, whichever word you want to choose for you, because the whole reason anyone knows about the show is because you have made them know about the show. Like I've told you many times, we don't have a marketing budget. And I've said that so much it becomes redundant, but think about what I'm telling you. We have a product. Well, that's great. But if you don't pay the grocery store, they will not put the product on the shelf. What we've done is we've built the product and we have not paid to put the product on the shelf because you, the customer, you have stood outside the grocery store and banged on the door and said, we want the product so much that they've been forced to put it on the shelf. That's kind of how this show's taken off. And it's taken off so much that... Everybody else out there in our industry has taken notice. And obviously, a lot of people in the coaching industry have taken notice. And so every time I shake hands with someone and they're talking about the show, in some cases, these are folks I grew up watching myself or I grew up reading myself. All I want to do is I want to say, hold on just a second. And I want to take my phone and go live and say, hey, could you tell the audience that? Of course, we can't do that. But I just wanted to pass it on. Yet again, another week from a lot of notable people to you guys. Great job. Thank you for making the show what it has been. We had our most watched show ever Sunday night. I have no clue what tonight's show is going to do. We're going to be in a bunker somewhere in Georgia. It could, I don't know. I have no clue. Every time I think I put a cap on what we're capable of, we blow the cap off. So you guys, I, you are limitless in your potential. So let's... um. Let's get this wrapped up. I'll try to go get my voice back. Looking forward to tonight's show. I'm actually going to get outside for a little while. It is so beautiful in Georgia right now. I kid you not, it's 70 degrees. It is sunny. I don't know that they'll see the sun again in Detroit until March or April. So this is a welcome change from what we were seeing weather-wise this weekend. So again, sincerely, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Do not miss a show this time of year. Don't miss a show. There is so much happening. I try and give you everything you need to know and trim out all the fat you don't need. And that's going to be a chore, but we'll do it tonight as best we can. So let's send this over to producer Jordan. I'm Josh Spate. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.